Hi, and welcome to the first of a monthly series of podcasts on behalf of Transformation Insights, looking at the changes that are happening to transformation itself and the industry in general. My name is Faith Forster. I'm the founder of Pinnipa, and today we're interviewing Eileen Burbage on the topic of digital disruption in financial services. Eileen has had an amazing tech career, including Apple and Yahoo, before moving from the US to London to become one of the earliest employees of Skype. She is a partner at Passion Capital who invests in early stage startups, including in the fintech space. She was recently appointed by Chancellor George Osborne to head up a fintech envoy as part of the UK government's productivity plan. Thank you for joining us today, Eileen. So firstly, what is an envoy and what will be the focus of your new role? Thanks, Faith. So it's a good question. And I think since this is the first time that Treasury appointed an envoy, a lot of it is to be determined or as much or as little, I think, as as we think could be appropriate or helpful for the, the fintech ecosystem. But that's generally the point, which is the government wanted to be able to say, we have somebody who represents the government's commitment to supporting this ecosystem and this growing sector. And on the other side of the coin, we have somebody who will hopefully help bring feedback from the industry, both incumbents and large financial institutions, as well as startups and new companies that might emerge within the sector in terms of what government can do to help them. So that's what I'll be doing, hopefully, in uh, conjunction with Treasury and with Number 11, and then also flying the flag for how strong fintech is in the UK, both domestically outside of London, for example, up in Edinburgh, perhaps in Leeds or Durham, um, but also then um, outside of the UK too. Straight into the hot topics, following on from the global financial crisis, there was a lot of trust issues around the banking industry and the system. How do you think that is now playing into the shifts that we're seeing within the industry? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, as you say, I think there are a lot of consumer trust and retail trust was certainly broken as a result of the crisis. I don't think it has been rebuilt at all in terms of with the bailouts and how the government's been trying to respond. But... What's happened at the same time is you're seeing a lot of affinity towards digital or new brands. So, for instance, if you do a survey or do a poll of millennials in terms of what brands that they trust, they would say that they would trust Apple or they would trust Google with their money more readily than any bank or even a financial institution. So while on the one hand, uh, there's been degradation of brand values on the financial sector, on the other case, you've got more brand equity going into tech companies. Mm -hmm. So this kind of validates the fact that fintech is a really strong sector, that we're going to need to see financial services evolve um, and to actually think about being more innovative and working more like digital companies, if not digital DNA first. That's an interesting question. So particularly during the crisis, we talked about banks being too big to fail. Now, the way the market's going and there's a need to become more innovative, do you think they're too big to change? I think that there's a risk they're too big to change or that it takes too long for a big company to change. On the other hand, I think credit is due to the big banks and the existing financial services incumbents in that they're doing a lot more than, say, other industry incumbents did. So if you're to look at media or publishing, the world of news, uh, the world of music, the world of books the world of journalism, for example, or any number of other sectors, you saw those industry incumbents completely disregard what was happening on digital innovation, um, completely ignore the change that was coming, and it was at their peril, and they've been completely decimated as a consequence, right? I think the banking sector or financial services sector is a little more savvy. They're certainly engaging with what's happening. I don't think they know yet what to do, whether to kill or to partner or to try and do it themselves. But the good news is they're exploring all options, and I think If they do go down, they'll go down with their eyes open. Um, They're going to try not to be too big uh, to succeed or to change how they do it and with what kinds of partnerships is the big question. 
So you recently invested in Mondo, which is now one of the first entirely technology-based banking, consumer banking propositions. Do you think banks and startups as well, because there's a number of fintech startups that are doing, I guess, pieces of the puzzle, not necessarily this is the first holistic proposition I've certainly seen. Do you think banks and startups are doing it, are being aggressive enough in using the opportunities that digital presents? I think the banks, as we were talking about earlier, they're so big that they can only absorb so much change you know, radicalization or innovation at a time. So I think they're probably doing as much as they can. You see some banks like Barclays and Santander making investments, so they're staying arm's length. Others actually working with accelerators, early stage startups directly. Others actually buying and acquiring companies. So I think it's the best, honestly, that they can do. Some of the banks are doing it better than others. Um, In terms of whether or not even startups are doing enough to take advantage of what's available, again, I think that the market or the sector can probably only absorb at a certain rate. Otherwise, it becomes comes too much noise, maybe there's consumer, um, they, they get tedious or they get tired of it or they get drained. And so I do think the rate of change is incredibly fast. If you think about how much has happened with you know, peer-to-peer lending, with business lending, with crowdfunding and everything of that ilk that's over even remittances and money transfers over the last two or three years, that it would be unrealistic to anticipate it going any faster. A quick note on Mondo is just that you know they are applying for their bank license now, so they're not yet licensed. And they would say that they are probably not quite decoupling services and doing individual services like some other startups, but they do think about a hub and spoke kind of model whereby they're offering a current account only and they feel like that can be sort of underpinning a bunch of other services probably from third parties or partners that will then create what we think of today as a bank. Um, There's an ongoing debate about what is the right level of regulation. This has been going for many years um, but particularly interesting when you start thinking about innovation within the banking sector because regulation tends to be more focused on managing risk. Do you think this will either support or inhibit fintech? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, that's a really good question and it's an interesting study because theoretically and conceptually regulation exists, as you say, to protect from risk and largely to protect consumers. And so what's happened though over the years as regulation just starts to build on top of itself, it usually becomes perceived as a kind of a burden or a weight on, on the sort of industry's shoulders. I think the good the good news and the validating point about either appointing a fintech envoy or potentially doing things like committing to reducing red tape or creating a part of, say, the Financial Services Authority, so the FSA, which is all about innovation and setting up an innovation lab, is this recognition that perhaps we should modernize regulatory practices and try and set up an environment whereby there's still protection um, against a certain level of risk and protection for consumers, but we're not encumbering companies from innovating and delivering services more quickly. Obviously, there's a big focus from the government on fintech to support the overall productivity of the UK economy. Why do you think this particular is such an important part? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, digital overall, so not just specific to fintech, but inclusive of fintech, is the fastest growing part of the UK economy. It contributes 10% of the GDP today. It's forecast to be 12.6% next year and then 15% by 2017. So that's not insignificant anymore, and it's no longer quite a niche. So digital overall is extremely important, I think, to the government and to the health of the UK economy. Within that, though, if you think about how the government might want to apply its resources or focus on specific areas where it can help, I think fintech or financial services technology is a natural place for it to look because of how strong financial services has been 
for the UK. So you have 300 of the world's banks with their headquarters here in London. You have over 100,000 knowledge service workers that work in financial services. You have, because of the time zone and where we sit in GMT, over three trillion pounds that passes through London every day just on Forex. So, you know, financial services, even if it weren't to modernize, is such a big part of the UK economy that it's almost, you know, critical then for the government to focus on how that is going to be changing, how that's affected by the digital economy, and therefore the intersection of that with technology defined as fintech is a really natural place for it to look to cultivate some wins, try and encourage more companies to get started and demonstrate increasing you know, productivity. And so as you said, London is fast becoming one of the fintech capitals of the world. Thanks in large part to the proactive stance the government has taken on this area. What do you think is next for the fintech scene and for digital within financial services as a whole? Yeah, I think part of the reason it's so exciting is because I'm not really sure. I think there's a lot of things that have to happen next or that get us to the, quote, next level. One thing would be if the big banks or the existing incumbents, if they are able to really demonstrate some kind of innovation, whether it's more aggressive um, M&A activity, whether it's releasing or producing more products or services that are more digitally sort of um, native first for consumers, or whether you're going to see some of the startups actually get to the next level, graduate beyond you know billion-dollar valuations, potentially acquire incumbents themselves. Um, so I think you're just going to have to see either incumbents or startups or both, some combination thereof, sort of getting to the next level and then delivering the services that we've all been waiting for that we all know are possible now because of technology and which really fundamentally help the brands bring back and win back more trust. Thank you, Eileen, for joining us and some really interesting insights on financial services and the digital disruption happening in that space. I hope you enjoyed our first podcast for Transformation Insights. In the coming months, we will be interviewing industry leaders on the cutting edge of reshaping the way organisations work. We hope you will join us again next month.